Um, man, thank you for showing up. First of all, on Man Sunday, uh, if you were here last week, uh, we addressed the women. Today, we're going to address the men. So thank you for not dodging this um, as if your wife were going to let you do that. Um, but we're in the middle of a series called My House Volume 2. And really what we're doing is we're, we're building a house. We're building a house, um, a house that flourishes, all right? Uh, now, just as you, when you build, physically build a house, you have to lay a foundation for the house first. If you don't build a good foundation or you have a bad foundation, then everything else crumbles. And we learned out of the gate um, that how we build a house that flourishes um, is it must be built upon the foundation of the Lord. All right, he's the pillar behind the whole house uh, that we have. Psalm 127, Solomon says that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. All right, so in order for us to have these homes um, that flourish, our children to flourish, uh, so the neighbors and nations see the foundation of our homes must be Jesus Christ. Well, after you build uh, the foundation on a house, you don't immediately start throwing up drywall. What's the next thing you do when you're building a house? Well, you start to frame up the house. You start to make what the rooms are going to look like within the house. Last week, we began to frame up the master bedroom, so to speak. Uh, we started to frame up the roles of husbands and wives in the house uh, and really begin to unpack that because this is why this is so important. Because if your marriage um, is not a, a foundational piece, it's not in the home, if it's not valued as it's meant to be valued, um, here's what's going to happen. It doesn't matter what the rest of your house looks like. It doesn't matter how awesome your house is, how big your house is. It doesn't matter how awesome your kids are and how successful they are. If the marriage is not valued, if we don't understand our differences, if we don't meet each other's needs as husbands and wives, the house will not flourish the children will suffer, and definitely the house will not shine light for the neighbors and the nations to see. So we begin to look through that and what that means, um, the differences between men and women and those kind of things. But I also wanted to be careful um, that our singles, our unmarrieds, our kids don't kind of check out during the portion of talking about husbands and wives. Uh, if you're in that vein, listen... Um, if the Lord wills that you get married one day, this is so important for you to understand what God is calling the husbands and wives to do today. So in one day, if a suitor presents himself to you, you are going to have a biblical filter to run this person through that says, hey, you don't get to talk to me like that. You don't get to treat me like this. And you'll be standing on the authority of the word of God and not some spark in your eye or some whim in your gut. All right, you're going to be able to, if you stay with us, singles, students, kids, if you stay here and dial in, you're going to be able to weed out all the little boys and the little girls who are unfit for marriage. For you singles, man, it doesn't matter if you remain single for the rest of your life. For those in Christ, the unmarried, your wedding day is coming. One day the Lord will return and he will swallow up the loneliness of every single unmarried person on the planet. One day your wedding day is coming for all, whether you have a spouse on this earth or not. Uh, now as we lean into marriage, uh, there's really two great dangers when it comes to talking about marriage. One is to overvalue marriage and one is to undervalue marriage. To overvalue is to say that 
The goal of Christianity is to help me have a spouse, a great marriage. And then we use God as a means to the end. And then what begins to happen is we often uh, pray and thank God for a spouse or a marriage. And we thank him way more for that than we do for the cross. And we have to be careful here. Yes, God does desire for us to have amazing marriages. But the Bible is not a book about me. It is not a book about marriage. It is a book about God. So that helps us stay with a proper view of marriage in light of eternity. Now, the second danger we can incur here is undervaluing marriage. We kind of come into this place, and often the person says, hey, I'd rather just not talk about marriage. Uh, Can we just move on and get to the Bible and get to uh, the Jesus stuff? Isn't Jesus the point? Usually what's behind that is a person's marriage who is struggling. They don't want to talk about these things. And there's a great potential to undervalue the importance of marriage. It is not just for you to have a partner to walk through life with that is there to meet your needs, to fulfill your personal happiness. Paul says there's a mystery behind marriage in Ephesians 5.33. And he says this, that this mystery, this earthly marriage is supposed to point to this living drama between the marriage and the relationship between Christ and his church It's greater than we could ever possibly imagine. And we need to have those two things in mind as we step into marriage. Last week, we talked about the differences between uh, men and women. We are totally different, all right? And you don't have to be Dr. Phil to figure this out. Uh, You can just look at children we talked about. You can take uh, little boys and they take two objects and they just make them fight. Two little girls take two objects and they make them friends. I mean, that's just what they do. We're just created different, and this is not a bad thing. This is in God's good design that we are created differently. We went back to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, the creation mandate, laid out that men and women have the same rank but different roles. Both co-equal in value, but distinctively different roles and functions. And this is called complementarianism. So this idea of us being different is not a bad thing, but what it does do is it creates differences in us. And with those differences comes the needs of both people. So we step into those needs to find out how we can complement one another. Last week, we looked at his needs, her role. We unpacked the needs of of man, husband in the marriage, and how the wives are called to meet those needs of her husband. Today, we're going to flip the page. We're going to look at her needs and his role. We're going to look at the needs of our wives and the role that we have as husbands to play in this part. Now, if you're a lady here and you're like, oh, I just came on Man Sunday, uh, just stay with me. You're like, already it's Super Bowl today, and now it's Man Sunday at church. Um, Stay with us. Uh, ladies, I think you play a great role, a great, great part um, in, the, in the message that the Lord has for us today. So please stay with us, and uh, let's lean into this for just a moment. Let me, let me pray, and then we'll let the Lord do his work for us today. God, Father, I do pray, and I do thank you for uh, bringing uh, just a lot of people, a lot of ears Uh, today to this place. Father, they need ears to hear. God, you are the one who grants our ears the ability to hear. So we do pray for that. God, above all things, I pray for you to be present, uh, for you to be powerful, and Father, for you to be pleased today, to be present with us, 
We don't want to do a gathering apart from your presence. Your presence is what sets us apart. And Father, for you to be powerful, powerful today with breaking through stubborn, prideful um, hearts of, of us husbands at times. Pray that you would be powerful in a way that you heal the hearts of our wounded wives. And Father, I do pray that you would be pleased by the end of this day with what we do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to look at these needs, all right? Uh, Men, husbands, God has called us to meet the needs of our wife, and we're going to lean into this. We're going to be humble, right? And we're going to get to work. It's going to require your humility. It's going to require my humility as I prepared for this sermon this week. Uh, But I want to go to work. And here's how we're going to do this. These needs um, really get their source of power from Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3, 7. So we're going to feed off of that. And let's walk through uh, the number one need. Husbands, the number one need of your wife is for you to have a sacrificial love for her. A sacrificial love. Let's look at uh, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, notably here uh, in this section of Ephesians 5, Paul spends three times as many verses on the men than he does the wives. Three to nine. So, men, that should tell us something here. Uh, but unlike the, the, the wives he charged to submit and give respect to the husband, he doesn't call the husband to submit to the wife. He doesn't call us to respect the wives. What he calls us to is an unconditional, countercultural, radical, sacrificial die to self love for our brides. And he gives us the reason. He says, because Christ gave himself up for you and for the church. So there's our why behind it. Now, this is not a call to be a doormat, to allow your wife to stomp all over you. This is a call not to be a doormat, but to die. Not only is it just this one-time a heroic, uh, one-time die so my wife could live, like throw myself in front of my wife so that she doesn't have harm. It, yes, it's that that you'd be able to give your physical life. But more than that, this is an everyday willingness to die sacrificially to your wife, to die to your hopes, your dreams, your selfish desires, your preferences, die to your rights, die to your preconceived notions about what a husband should be or should want to be. It's a call to die to all of those things. And listen, men, This is not a call to the weak. This is a call to the strong. Marriage itself is a a call to die to yourself. We all know that. Here, my case is this. It takes a strong man to die, not a weak man. All right? So that's the kind of death we see here. And listen, if you think it's unmanly to do this, Man, let's look at the Lord for a second. Let's look at Jesus Christ, the story uh, when he bent down in front of his disciples and he took off his, his belt, his sash, he sat down and he washed the disciples' feet. Sacrificial, servanthood kind of love to the disciples. You know what didn't happen in that moment? Not for one moment 
Did the disciples ever question the masculinity of Jesus in that moment? Not one moment did they like, God, what a sissy Jesus is. I can't believe he's doing this. Not one time did they doubt that he was still the lion of the tribe of Judah. Why? Because sacrificial love does not nullify masculinity. It defines masculinity. It defines it. Now the truth is this. This is hard. This kind of call to love really punches us men in the gut and kind of flattens us out because we know it's very hard. And we know we do not measure up. I want to uh, appeal to you and show you one of the things that's killing us most men in loving our wives in this sacrificial way. Uh, There's this dominant male narrative that's been going around for generations and generations, and it still exists today. Uh, Matt Chandler from the Village Church calls this word machismo. It's actually in in Wikipedia and the Bible dictionary, but it's called machismo. And here's what it is. Machismo severs the emotions and sets up sexual conquest and a physical and financial prowess as the measures of masculinity. So men, maybe you grew up in this home, and you heard things like, be a man. She's supposed to serve you. You work. You earn the money. You call the shots. It's her job to come along and serve you. This is a sinful uh, machismo. It's ludicrous. It, it is, it's actually demonic. And what it does is it tears down the, the hearts of our wives. Man, it, it, and, and those that are watching, not to mention our daughters and others in the home, it, it breaks down the family unit and it kills us as men. When men embrace that narrative, I'm a man, it's my right, She's going to stay in her lane. That's what she's supposed to do to serve me. When men embrace that narrative, you know what it produces? It produces Harvey Weinsteins and R. Kelly's. That's what it produces. It's my right. They're there to serve me. They abuse the God-given power to them or the authority to be the heads of their families. And it is a sinful, uh, demonic force that is breaking down the family household. Now, if you think, I think one of the, I still think people, men, uh, they really push back here. And I think they just think, man, laying your life down and dying to self is an unmanly thing to do in your household. Well, if you think it's unmanly to die to yourself and put your wife before you, um, you've just called out Jesus and you've called out guys like King David. King David, manly man, King David, the men of all men, King David. Right? You've just called him out. And if you were to go one-on-one with King David, the man who killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands, my cash is on David, not you. Manly man. All right? And I know you might go to Planet Fitness or something, but I think he's going to work you. I think he'll light you up. You've just called him out. This is not a feminine thing to do. This is a masculine thing to do to lay down your life. Now listen to what Good husbands do this. Good husbands love their wives in this way because they know that Christ has loved them in this very same way. That the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate sacrificial love, display of, was Jesus Christ on the cross. And the good man, the good godly man, knows that no matter what he does for his wife, no matter how many times he lays his life down, 
for no matter how many times he suffered, lost the battle, no matter how many times he did not get any reward for doing this, he knows that he's never done more for his wife than what Christ has done for him and the church. Listen to what John Chrysostom said. He said, you must offer your own life for her once and every day, and you must not refuse. If you spend a lifetime married to her with countless struggles, enduring suffering on her behalf, with no reward, you must still not refuse. Even if you suffer all of this, you've still not done as much as Christ has done for you and the church. Is this this begrudging doomsday call, men? Is this what this is? Oh, surrender, white flag. No, it's not. In the same way that Jesus Christ in Matthew 16, his call for us to die to ourself is actually the pathway to life. He says, if you're going to follow me, you'll find life. But in order for you to find life, you first have to die to yourself. So in that vein, husbands, listen. If you want a marriage full of life, love, joy, happiness, fulfillment, exceeding your wildest imaginations and expectations, if you want that, and I believe all of you want that, the pathway to that marriage is dying to yourself. Not changing your wife, but you dying to yourself is the pathway to having a greater marriage. Now, husbands, this is, a, I think the women had this tendency last week, and I'm going to appeal to you. I think there's this great potential for us to deceive ourselves and say that, well, we don't have to fill this command because our wives aren't really fulfilling their commands. Like you told them all these things last week, and they really didn't even change this week. So then I'm off the hook, right? She's, she's not doing her part. Some of you right now are even saying, hey, man, you, you don't know my wife, R.C. You have no idea. She comes to church, and she's all shaking hands, kissing babies. She's all nice. But, bro, you don't know what she's like at home. Like, I get her to the house. Last week, I saw fire shoot out of her eyes. She killed a puppy. It was crazy. <laughs> Listen. Husbands, we have to be careful to not look for loopholes that make us want to spit out the hard portions of God's word. We don't get to do that. We aren't responsible for fulfilling the callings of other people. We are responsible for fulfilling the calls that God has placed upon our lives. So this is no conditional movement whatsoever. And it is not dependent on how your wife reciprocates. Now, the hope is this, that the women are doing their part last week. We get to do these things as men, and we come together, and now we see the picture of a godly marriage in our homes. All right? So let's move to the second piece here of your wife's second greatest need. It is spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership. So the, this call to love our wife sacrificially is not just lamb-like, it's also lion-hearted. To lead our wives, because why? Because they were created to be led. This is God's good design. Look at Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Ephesians 26, go down 526, so that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. God has placed the responsibility squarely on the shoulders of the husband to lead the household spiritually, to lead the marriage spiritually. Now, he's not called it to place it upon the wife, and he's surely not placed that responsibility on the church. Hey, just go lead my wife and kids. Y'all go do that. I'm going to drop them off. No, it's on us, men. It is on us to lead in this way. Now, what Paul is not saying here is that it's the responsibility of the husband to sanctify his wife, to mean to make her more like Christ. That's what sanctify means, to make her more like Christ. We're not called to do that because Christ does that. It's a work of God and the individual. But what we are called to do, husbands, men, we are called to encourage, to help the sanctification of our wives, to help them become more Christ life. That is our responsibility. This is what's called headship. All right, that's what the uh, doctrine we've just read in Ephesians. John Stott says this about headship. If headship means power in any sense, then it's power to care, not to crush. Power to serve, not to dominate. Power to facilitate self-fulfillment, not to frustrate or destroy it. Now, I told you about one of the first male narratives that's destroying and killing us, that whole idea of machismo, uh, a, a tyranny in the house, right, a dictatorship. That's one huge narrative that's killing us. But I want to speak into another one here. There's another narrative that's, that's really be progressing every single day that's absolutely killing us men. And it is one uh, that has adopted the cultural view that says there's really no difference in our, in our, in our genders, Whatever a man could do, a woman could do. Whatever a woman could do, a man could do. And it just flattens out genders so there's no distinction between the man and the woman. It crushes Genesis 2. That's the culture of our day. And what happens is, as Christian men, when we buy into that view, here's what it does. It now, uh, you think it absolves you from the responsibility of being the leader in your home. Those lines aren't, aren't clear anymore. That's just kind of blurry, and maybe the wife can do it. Maybe the man can do it. And what happens is this. A passive emasculation occurs where the man either submits to the wife or fails to step into the leadership that God has called him into. And I think that's probably a more prevalent issue, to be completely honest with you today. Men passively emasculated, failing to lead their wives in the spiritual way that God has designed it and the way that their wives want them to do that. Now, let me say this right here. I've got a lot of authority to speak to you about this idea of passive emasculation to you today. As a man who did not lead his wife spiritually for years and years and years, I can in intimately testify to the dangers of it. I'm the guy who didn't go to church with my wife. I'm the guy who said, I've worked hard all week. You go do your thing. I'm just going to chill at the house. I'm the guy that begrudgingly came to church with his wife just to please her. 
I'm, I'm the guy that jetted up and ran it out the back door before the end of the sermon, before the pastor could catch me back there to shake my hand. I'm that guy. I'm the guy who said, uh, you know what? Why do we have to go to a Bible study on Wednesday night? We already did church this week. Why do you have to go to a small group? You're getting a little radical here, honey. Can you just calm down? We have a lot of things in our life. There's a lot of chaos here. We're just busy. Everybody else, they're not as busy as us. I was a stumbling block to my wife. I was not leading my family, my marriage spiritually. Now, I also want to tell you that I can testify to the power of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, when you submit to it, God begins to do a supernatural work in any man's life regarding of his history, his circumstances, his personality type, where God can come in and turn you into the man that he's called you to be and the man that your wife longs for. I've been in pastoral ministry for five years, and I cannot tell you how many women have sat in counseling longing for, praying for, weeping for their husbands to just lead. Just lead. Why won't he go to church? Why is it always me? This is how they were created to be led. And when the female, when the wife has to step into that role, it always goes bad. You're failing. She's failing because she's not meant to carry that load. That's a burden that God has not put on her heart. And then the marriage and the house will begin to crumble if we are not in these distinct roles. So here's a question that we all have to ask ourselves today. Husbands, is your wife more like Christ today because of you or in spite of you? Is she the same Christian she's been for however long you've known her? Is not growing at all because of your leadership? Are you holding her back Are you a stumbling block to her growing in a relationship? Or are you sanctifying your wife? This is a responsibility that falls on us. And these are some hard questions that we have to answer. Is my wife a better wife, a better uh, better mom, a better sister in Christ, a better church member because of me and my leadership? Is she expressing her gifts and using them at the church because of me encouraging her? Is she going to a Bible study with other ladies because I am encouraging her? Or is she going in spite of you? Or is she not going at all because you're not encouraging her to do it? These are hard questions. Let me give you some practical ways, men, of you to step into this role. First of all, it doesn't matter how bad you've been. Submit to the word of God. Let him transform you into the leader that you're called to be. And here's some very practical first-time steps on how you could lead your wife in this film. First of all, just faithfully commit to this gathering. Show your wife that you are committed to this gathering above and beyond a convenience. You're committed to being here no matter if your child has a sniffle or a headache and you dip out and you want to stay home. A commitment that says, I'm going. This is what we need to do, honey. We got to go. This is good for our 
family. It moves beyond the convenience of coming here when your child doesn't play in a tournament. You see, this is what it means to love your wife and to lead her spiritually. When we do um, events at our church, when we do things like uh, worship, my house worship nights, we go. Hey, we got to be there. Let's go. We're going. We don't leave that up to the wife. Hey, there's that thing tonight. I guess I'll go. We don't do that. That's not what leaders do. That's not what Christian men do. When we have events like grace marriage and Bible studies in a church, we don't leave that up to our wife to sign us up. Now, if you're asking your wife to sign you up because you're leading in that way, that's a different story. But if you're just dialed out and you think that's all the responsibility on your wife to sign up for all the things we're doing at church and Bible studies and grace marriage and worship, listen, they're not supposed to carry that. You have to be a man. You have to be a godly man that steps in and begins to lead your family. This is how they were created. Men, we've got to step up in this, in this realm. We have to do these things. This is worth it. Let me go to the next one here. The third piece is appreciation. Your wife needs appreciation. As men uh, need respect, we learned that last week from uh, Paul, women need to feel valued and appreciated for what they do. We often as men, I'm right here in the camp with you, we fail to remember all of the things that our wives do. We think sometimes our role is more important and we do things and you just kind of, they're just the norm. We take advantage of those things. I fail to remember the things that my wife does. My wife at my house, she does it all. She is a, a tutor, a teacher, a Grubhub, an Uber driver. Uh, she is a plumber. She's an accountant. She's a peacemaker. She's a counselor. She's doing it all. And she loves to hear me say, I value you. I appreciate you. They long to hear that from us, man. We've got to be able to speak into our wives. Here's how we do that. First Peter 3 says this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, notice how Peter commands, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And he does not say, husbands, understand your wives. Why is that? Because God never calls us to command the impossible. Sometimes I'm really serious, and y'all don't know if you can laugh or not. You can laugh right there. Here's what that means. God has called us to live with our wives in an understanding way. This idea is nourishing, cherishing our wives in an understanding way as the weaker vessel. Now, I'm going to speak about this weaker vessel piece for just a moment, and I'm going to try to speak to this knowing that I'm on thin ice here. All right, I, I could temp temperature the room here. Uh, the idea here is not that she is less valuable. That's not the case here. He's basic, he even says that here, that they're fellow heirs with us in Christ. So they have inherited the same things that we have as men. They're not less valuable. But there are two predominant thoughts about what weaker vessel means here. The first one is this. Weaker means your wife is like porcelain. She is fragile. She is delicate. She is like fine 
porcelain. And you, husband, you be careful how you talk to her. What words come out of your mouth flying at her? You be careful how you touch her. And you need to do that in such a way that she's fragile and delicate. And you don't do that in a harsh way. She is like fine porcelain. Now the second idea of what weaker vessel means here is most theologians believe uh, that it also speaks to the physicality portion. Meaning that predominantly the normative is that women are weaker physically than men. And I know the minute I say that, I know there's opponents. Don't think I know that. I mean, of course I do. You're foolish. You're small-minded. Don't you know that a woman is just as strong as a man? You see all these movies today? Maybe you've seen that in our culture. It's painting this picture that women can be heroes too. And I'm not demeaning women and heroes. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying that predominantly the normative is that men are stronger than women. Now, listen... Sometimes opponents will say things like, well, what if the husband's dainty and weak? All right? What if he's dainty and weak and the the wife is like a professional crossfitter, right? Well, listen, that's not the norm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the norm that that be that way, that the the husband's dainty and weak and, and the wife is going around and kicking the trash out of men. I mean, that's not what happens. That's not the normative. Now, now I'll say this. Is there a, a lady on American Ninja Warrior that could probably kick my tail? Maybe. Maybe. But here's what I know. If there is a bump in the night at the Ford house, here's what I don't do. Hey, Callie, go check that out. <laughs> if I did that, I'm a dirt bag, right? You're going to call me out. And even our culture knows this, is intuitively aware that every time they see a story uh, on the news or a movie where a man lays his life down for the sake of a woman, we dig that, we love that, and we embrace that. Why is that? Because we know that men are called to the physical care, the physical protection of our wives. They need that from us. They need to know they're safe from the threats inside the house, from those outside of the house to physically care and provide for them. We are called to be men of valor, to step into these spaces and know our roles. Now, here's some other practical ways for us to do these things, okay? Give them attention. How do we honor our wives, appreciate? We give them attention. We be present, Now, if you're like me, guys, listen, I might be physically home and physically present, but I'm emotionally a thousand miles away. It's been a long day at the office. I sit down on the couch. My mind's racing or I've got my phone out. I'm thumbing through it. I'm not present. I'm just physically sitting there. And my wife just kind of gracefully nudges me and says, hey, be present, please. I'm like, all right, I'm cool with that. I need that. Men, be present. In your homes, be there. Put the stuff down. Put the phone down. Don't keep answering text all night, hiding under the banner of provision for your family. You know how men do that? I am providing for you. You know this house we're living in right now? All these cars you drive? I'm putting food on the table. I've got to take all these calls. I'm not saying you don't need to take calls, but you know what I'm saying. I'm saying your greater responsibility is to love your bride right in front of your face. And if she's being neglected, there's a problem at home. Other ways that you can do that. Tell her you love her. Tell her you love her. Text her in the middle of the day. This is how you cherish and nourish her. Give her a note in the morning before you leave the house. I love you. Not for gain. 
not so you can earn something or get favor. Um, she would reciprocate it later just because you love her. Another way, help around the house. Let me tell you this, men. Uh, simply put, you are not more valuable than your wife when it comes to duties at the house. There's no biblical uh, backbone saying that it's the wife's role to do this, 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 cook, clean, uh, bathe the kids, uh, put them down, and go back and clean the dishes. There's no narrative in the Bible that supports that. There's no narrative in that. Man, when your wife comes home, meet her outside, grab the groceries, walk in with those things. Man, when she cooks dinner, you come behind her and help her clean the dishes. You take the trash out. When the kids are running around crazy, help her gather the kids to get them ready for bed, to get in the bath, read a story to them, pray with them. Do you know how hard it is for the wife to do that every day by herself? It's hard. Men, we get alone and we do it for like two hours. We're trying to freak out, right? But this is the role that God has given us. Our wives need us to appreciate, to love, and to cherish them in this way. All right, let's go to the fourth one here. You got two more. The fourth one is communication. Your wives need communication. Uh, there's a famous women's magazine, um, and it, it polled the women readers and say, what would you change about your wife or your husband the most? And they said, communication. I wish he would just talk more. Wives statistically speak about 12,000 more words than men do each day. It's just true. It's how we're wired. Women just like to talk to talk, and men are like, hey, if I don't have anything to say, I don't need to say anything. I'll use my words as a necessary step to get what I need. That's just how we're wired. We're differently. I can think of no better way to communicate this differences to you than by showing you this awesome video. Let me show you too. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me, and... I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head, and it's relentless, and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most, is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just... Don't... <laughs> I don't care who you are. That's funny. I mean, that is just funny. Uh, the, it, it, the reality of that is there is some truth to it, right? That, that we're just wired differently. Many times uh, we get home as men and our wives just want to talk. 
And we, what we do by default, they're like, okay, just download the information. I'm thinking about the response, the solution of what you're trying to say. And instead of us just listening to the hearts of our wives, we just, we're selfish. We're not serving our wives. We're being very selfish. And this is just how we're wired different. Look at Philippians 2, 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So as we sit and we listen to our wives, man, let's not look to our own interest of what we could accomplish, what we could get out of it, or I don't really want to talk to her right now. She's just going to go on and on and on and on, and I just don't have any words to give her. Man, let us die to ourself in communication. Let us be servants of our wife by listening to them. Go on dates where there's no distractions. All you got to do is just you and your wife, listen to her, pour her heart out. And listen, man, I, I get it. They're just wired differently than us. They talk to, to talk, right? And we have got to, it's the part of the dying to self piece to put our own interest aside for the servanthood and the sacrificial love of our wives. All right, last piece here. The last one is affection. Affection. Um, I think that most women um, suffer from some, at least some kind of form of insecurity about their bodies. I believe that's to be true. Um, and, and husbands, it's, it's your job, it's my job to make our wives feel beautiful, to tell them they are beautiful, to encourage their hearts, to encourage who they are in Christ. It's our job to do that. Now let's look at uh, the love doctor, Song of Solomon, on how he did this with his wife. Now let's learn then. He says this, Song of Solomon 7, 1 through 9. How beautiful, and let me say this, let's keep our middle school hats away on this one, okay? I know it's going to laugh a little bit. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath Ribbon. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine." Now, men, normally uh, quoting Scripture is a good thing. But in this context, if you quote this Scripture to your wife, you might get your eyes gouged out. (laughs) This is a different context, right? If you try to roll up on your wife and tell her her belly is like a heap of anything, (laughs) you, you might get a heap of poison in your dinner. You don't roll up and tell her her nose is as big as a tower, right? (laughs) Hey, your breasts are like furry animals. (laughs) If they do, you might need to go to the vet. I don't know. But the point is this. It is our responsibility to tell our wives in the proper context of how beautiful that they are 
that overcomes the insecurity within them. And that they, that she meets their standard of beauty. I don't need to look anywhere else. You are altogether beautiful to me, my love. My eyes are for you and you and you alone. And when you do that, men, watch the reciprocation. Song of Solomon eleven twelve. Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. All right, so he didn't have to think twice about his invitation to the vineyards here. He's all in. And, and that, since he's been very generous uh, with his compliments and his appreciation of her beauty, she reciprocates and is now a very generous uh, from a sexual standpoint. She's going to meet his needs in that realm. That's what you see unfolding here. Now, what happens with, if, if men, if we fail to compliment our wives in this way, they want to hear it from someone. There will begin to be a coldness in your relationship, a, a spiritual and a, a physical coldness that occurs that sends the wife to bed. She goes to bed. The man sits on the couch. He continues to watch Sports Center. She sleeps in the other bedroom. He's kind of dialed in to Sports Center, and it's getting later and later and later. And then now he starts to surf and go down a dangerous path with looking at things on his device, his phone, his computer, and the television of other women. Fantasies. While in the next bedroom, he has the real thing right there. Now, I don't have a master's, but I know that's not a very good trade. Men, if you don't compliment and tell your wife how beautiful he is, she will Search for it somewhere else. And I'm not giving permission for women to go do that. Clearly you know that. But they're created in such a way that they need to hear they're beautiful from you and not anybody else. Not the guy whistling down the street. Not the co-worker at her job. None of those people are called to tell her are beautiful. And if you tell her how beautiful she is, then when somebody else tells her, she doesn't need it. She just dusts it off. You are the one who's created to tell her these things. Now, let me wrap this up because men, um, man, this has been a punch in the gut. I, I, like I said, I'm right there with you. The reality is, is we have a problem. We have a problem. And the problem is not outside of us. The problem is not right next to us. The problem is in us and it is the sin that remains in us. If you are in Christ, it is forgiven. However, it's still not good. We are constantly wanting to kill the sin in our life and write our lives in consistency with the word of God. So my encouragement to you, or ask the question is, how are you doing at the most, the second most important relationship in your life? How are you leading your wife? How are you loving your wife? I want you to be courageous to show valor, to go home humble, maybe even ask your wife, how are you doing in these areas? How am I doing? Am I meeting your needs? Listen, that might be awkward. In fact, it might even be more awkward because I'm preaching about it. She's probably going to see it coming from a mile away. You're just saying that because the RC preached it today. 
But I want to encourage you to push through that. I want you to be humble and to show valor and approach the heart of your wife and begin to work on these things. Now, the other reality is here, I believe there might be some men that really, really like, like, like Jesus. I think you really, really like Jesus. I think you like the idea that he loves you, cherishes you, nurtures you, but you do not like the idea of doing that to your wife. I think you like Jesus. I just don't think you want to be like Jesus. I think you like the fact that he humbled himself in birth and death on a cross. You love that humility he showed you, but you don't love to show the humility to your bride. You don't love to tell her that you're wrong, that you admit you have faults in you. There are those that really, really like the idea that God has done all of these things, but you do not want to reciprocate and show your wife. And listen, the tendency for you is to do these things, is to leave here today getting really, really busy. I'll get really busy. I'll get back to work at it. I'll white knuckle this thing. I will reinvent myself and I will do better. And I want to tell you this. That before you can be reinvented as a man of God, you must be reborn unto God. You cannot do all of these things if you've never been reborn, given your life to Christ, trusted in him with all you got. You have no shot. And I would call you today, if that's maybe you, to be or to do the most manliest thing you've ever done in your entire life. Repent, confess, and give your life to Jesus Christ. That's the most manliest thing you possibly do today. That takes a strong man to die, not a weak man. And I'm praying today that some men die in this place. They die to themselves. They die unto the Lord so they may have life and then they die to themselves in their marriage so they can experience the fullest marriage that they've ever possibly imagined. That is what I'm praying for today. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And we treasure, Father, the gift of marriage. We've studied it for two weeks. God, I pray that it's righted many of the wrong views that we had when we came into this place. God, above all things, you are a greater treasure than even our earthly marriages. Father, I pray that we lift that up above all things, that we know that we were sinful, dark, hopeless, needy beggars apart from you. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die sacrificially. Father, that be the basis of us loving our wives. Father, we love you. Would you transform hearts today? Would you save? Would you make people die so that they may have life? In Jesus' name, amen.